0: Section 4 of G.K. Chesterton in the British Review. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. G.K. Chesterton in the British Review by G.K. Chesterton The Unworldliness of Journalists Every kind of church has been charged with being worldly, nor will this charge be denied by anyone who believes that there has been any church in the world. But there is a fact that strikes me as far more fascinating and queer than the fact that the church is worldly. I mean the fact that the world is unworldly. I mean the fact that the world always manages to muddle its own secular aim even more than any of the great religions have muddled their religious aim. I mean the fact that business men are unbusinesslike. Publishers, for instance, have not the faintest idea of whether an author's work will sell. They have to ask another author, temporarily disguised as a reader, I mean the fact that sportsmen are unsportsmanlike. Nobody would, in fact, bet a waistcoat button that a thousand sportsmen would sacrifice their own interests to the sport. Any more than a thousand chapel-goers would sacrifice theirs to the chapel, if so much. I mean the fact that statesmen are unstatesmanlike democracy has passed much of its time in producing aristocrats as the best people and aristocrats have passed nearly all their time in proving that they are not the best people i mean the fact that science left to itself tends to be more and more unscientific that law left to itself tends to be more and more lawless people talk about the failure of Christianity. Christianity, in a sense, expected failure. By its first dreadful gestures, it dedicated itself to failure. But compared with all the pagan and practical experiments of this world, Christianity is a colossal scoop. The other cases are not merely instances of worldly failure. But of the failure of worldliness. And of all these there is no case stranger or stronger than the case of the journalist who cannot even keep a journal. He is unworldly. He simply does not know what happens from day to day. We are concerned here with no complaint that journalism is not literature. Our complaint is that journalism IS NOT JOURNALISM. We can leave aside all the criticisms, right or wrong, which in earlier decades described journalism as pert, or prying, or vulgarly intimate. It may be that the journalist was once the early bird that caught the worm. And it may be that the worm is no fit breakfast for a gentleman. But at this particular minute, by the clock, I strongly assert that the journalist is not the early bird, but the late bird, in both senses of the word. He is the late bird not only in the sense that he has not killed the worm, but in the sense that he is killed himself. And the result has been what should, I suppose, be expected on strict evolutionary principles that the worms of this world are having an exceedingly good time. They have waxed so large and wound about so widely as to recall those colossal worms which, in the doubtful tongues of the dark ages, seem to have corresponded to the serpent of Eden and the dragon of St. George. Broadly and abandoning metaphor, the journalist, wholly failed to be useful even in what were regarded as his base uses it is not necessary to say that he is a failure as a judge a failure as a tribune or even a failure as a demagogue he is a failure as a spy he is a failure as an eavesdropper he is a failure as a scandalmonger he is a failure as a coward and deserter bringing the first news of a defeat. He does not bring the news. He does not know the news. Both the politicians and the populace are doing more and more without the papers. When Mr. Balfour said he never read the papers, it was regarded as a remote and aristocratic affectation, but it was probably the most popular and democratic thing he ever said in his life i do not say of course that journalists do not let me know some things quicker than i should have heard them in any other way but i do say that their primary thought at present is rather slowness in selecting the news than quickness in imparting it that which the organization provides for that which the machinery achieves is not that i shall hear one fact early tomorrow though i may but that i shall not hear five other facts till to-morrow week and shall not hear fifteen other facts at all but over and above this there is the third point with which i am concerned in this third article that not only do journalists conceal the truth but the truth is very largely concealed from them This is the reason why even in the squalid subsidence of the modern press newspaper editors are still nicer men than newspaper proprietors the case can be best tested by the particular sort of news that obviously ought to be new there is a sort of journalism which carries on in a less polished style the tradition of truth and the world it is avowedly gossip or rather It is avowedly rumour. It professes to be the latest from the racing stables, the latest from the green room, the latest from the clubs. It is avowedly cautious because of its audacity. It hints a doubt and hesitates dislike. The comment is not so much a criticism. It is rather a sort of frivolous prophecy In these little paragraphs in the flashy society papers we ought to find the last whisper of novelty, if we find it anywhere. People who are worldly, and even wickedly worldly, might at least know the world. They do not. Their whispers are not whispers, but snores, snores of sleepers who have slept for a hundred years the men who write these things know less of the things than the men who read them the old idea was that a book or anything like a book had something of the quality of a testament or an oracle but nearly every modern man is superior to the sheet he reads i saw in a frivolous weekly sheet the other day a sheet full of ballet girls and sporting baronets. a cunning little paragraph that said something like we wonder whether mr h g wells is still so enthusiastic for fabian socialism as he says we have heard there may soon be news of some little rift in the lute which by and by etc etc now suppose i was the editor of a smart society paper Dressing the part would be fun. And suppose I kept on writing things like this. A little bird has told us that Mr. Winston Churchill may not always be found on the conservative benches, and that should he transfer his allegiance to the Liberals, they may even find office for him, or... The market was fluttered this morning on account of the startling rumor that Dr. Jameson was contemplating a raid and had actually invaded President Kruger's territory. We shall keep our readers early informed, etc. For there is a whisper in smart circles that a wife will soon be found for the young king of Spain. Some say that the actual lady is etc or as we go to press we hear that lord curzon is contemplating a durbar and so on and so on should i be considered a knowing and up-to-date young dog i do not know but i do know that none of the above remarks are of more antediluvian absurdity than the remark about mr wells in that knowing little paper that i described above mr wells never was a socialist in a full fabian sense and never pretended to be he was specially the critic of the official fabian policy he wrote faults of the fabians so long ago that it whitens my hair to think of it then he definitely divided himself from the whole thing giving his theoretic reasons since then he has battered the fabian society in book after book so that it is almost impossible to open a new novel by him without seeing as it were the face of some fabian snapshotted by a flash of lightning at a most unfortunate moment for him. Moreover, he explained all this himself in an article in The New Witness, and doubtless in many other places. Yet the very special kind of paper whose only plea in extenuation of its sins must be that it can catch the flying tail of the new rumor has not even heard of the beginnings of this ancient tale this is not an isolated case i saw in a similar society organ something about mr lloyd george and his friend mr lansbury with whom apparently he is united not only of course by the wild romance of rapacious socialism and frantic popularity but also by the unclouded affection of two companions in arms yet this was several months after the two men had nearly fought each other in parliament with a passion unknown in that place when mr lansbury talked about a marconi secret and mr george about a foul lip this is a curious paradox that the articles that almost profess to be prophecies are out of date even as historics it would be an exaggeration to say that their one permanent poster is that queen anne is dead but they do not seem to be able to get much further than the news that queen victoria is ill this suggests another mode of testing the matter which has always struck me as very remarkable it is within my own experience That I have always heard the most interesting and exciting debates about the destiny and policy of modern institutions, either by being present at them or by hearing of them from my friends. Of next to none of them do I owe my knowledge to the newspapers. Here I must anticipate and avert a misunderstanding, especially about what I mean by exciting debates the upholder of the existing journalistic conventions may imagine that i mean to say the debate on the raising of the age for school attendance between mr pidge x c c and dr Garner, was more truly momentous than the paltry party struggles or the destiny of europe will be more lastingly affected by this decision of the general of the jesuits about early rising than by any recent political events. To this sort of thing, of course, he will have his usual reply. We write for the public. The public knows and cares nothing about sciences, educational or theological. The public would not listen, etc. But I do not mean things of that kind, things that can only indirectly, as a point of private conviction, be called exciting i mean things that really are exciting in the perfectly plain and popular sense of the word and i say it is as much bad journalism to miss the difference or conflict between mr bernard shaw and mr h g wells as it would be bad journalism to miss the conflict between sayers and heenan even according to the crude and rather fantastic popular representations of the two men the idea of their collision would be as entertaining to the public as that of mephistopheles and the man of the moon yet we have seen how little the light press of the time ever even knew that their types of socialism were different a much stronger case can be found in the great socialist duel between juarez and bibel many years ago it was a scene as crucial and historic as luther before his examiners or robespierre shouted down by the revolutionists but the english papers did it no justice and i first heard the point of it from a man who happened to be there it was nothing less than the resurrection of nationality in Europe. The Socialist Congress had begun, as such Congresses always do begin, with a sort of prayer to nothing in particular, beseeching it, whatever it was, to keep the peace of Europe and preserve, above all, the social solidarity of the proletarians of all lands. France was nothing, Germany was nothing, Humanity was everything. Before the end of that debate, the two greatest socialists alive were taunting each other about Bismarck and Napoleon, about flags and barricades. Will anyone say patriotism is unpopular? Will anyone say France and Germany are things the public has never heard of? No! It is only the unworldly journalist who has never heard of them. G.K. Chesterton. End section 4 read by Kerry Adams your book voice at Mesa Arizona on 30th of October 2021. End of G.K. Chesterton in the British Review by G.K. Chesterton.